The Wanderings of Gilgamesh are the final adventure in the epic. The tale is completely told from the three tablets 9, 10, and 11. Gilgamesh mourned bitterly the death of his friend Enkaidu and roamed the open country. Shall I die? Am I not just like Enkaidu? Grief possesses me. It has entered me deeply. I am like a ghost that cannot go down and roams the open country. So he took the road to Utnapishtim, son of Uboratutu. He looked for Utnapishtim, because he is the only man who has not yet died. He roamed the country like a man without a family, like a ghost who cannot go down. Wherever the winds chase, wherever the waters go, he did not cease to travel, he did not sleep. Shamash was worried and came to him at the end of the day. He spoke to him, Gilgamesh. Where are you going? You will not find a life that does not die. Gilgamesh replied to Shamash, the warrior, Though I go traveling restlessly now, there will be no lack of sleep after I die. Why should I sleep now? Let my eyes fill with light. I want to see the sun. Do dead men see the sun? The darkness is empty. Where is the light then? He reached the mountain passes at night. He saw lions there and was afraid. He raised his head and prayed to the moon in her tribal name, Sin, who lights the unvoiced thoughts of gods. Keep me safe. He slept uncomfortably, worried, and awoke at a dream and was glad to be alive. A pack of menacing predators, lions and hyenas or others, surrounded him. He took up his axe and drew his sword, and like an arrow he charged them. He shattered the skull of one, and the others ran. The name of the mountain is Mashu. Mashu protects the daily departure of Shamash. The roof of the sky 
is braced upon it, supported upon its weight and strength like a lentil. A mantle of frightening radiance is all about the mountain. The place is guarded by scorpion men. Their presence is terrifying. A glance of their eyes can mean death. They soldier the place at dusk and dawn. Fear clouded Gilgamesh as he looked at them, but he took initiative. He gestured to them in friendship and greetings. A scorpion man shouted to his woman, Look, someone has come. He has the flesh of one of the gods. The scorpion man's woman answered, He's only partly god. He is also mortal. The scorpion man challenged Gilgamesh, Who are you? What distance have you come? Gilgamesh told him of his long journey, the difficulties of the mountain passes, and how he looked for Utnapishtim, who alone of all men has not yet died. The scorpion man made his voice heard and spoke. It is impossible, Gilgamesh. Nobody passes through the mountain of Mashu, down the cavern of the sun. After a distance of two or three hours, the darkness has become so dense you cannot see. Gilgamesh looked gaunt with fatigue, like that of a man who has traveled too far from home and is exhausted and haunted by grief. The scorpion man made his voice heard and spoke, If you must go, Gilgamesh, this is the entrance to the cavern here. You can see the course of Shamash by the luminance that trails behind him, but it is impossibly dark in its depths. Gilgamesh departed and did not look back until four hours of journey, but then he could not see where he had come from. He could not see what was ahead. He hurried into the darkness. In two more hours the darkness was still dense. There was no light. He could not see ahead or behind. He hurried on for two more hours. Still there was no light. The darkness was dense. He could not see ahead or behind. At ten hours, at twelve hours, there still was no light in the cavern. But he did not hesitate. The darkness was so dense, he could not see ahead or behind.
But at the fourteenth hour he came out suddenly into the light. The sun was in front of him. Brightness was everywhere, and all kinds of thorny, spiky bushes blossoming with gemstones. Carnelian was fruit on some, hanging in gleaming clusters. Lapis luzuli was the foliage in others, fruited also, and delightfully sparkling. Pine of jade arose above him, fronds of the white paradayu stone spread as undergrowth, and brambles and thistle and thorn bushes of the green abasmu stone, of the subu stone, of hematite. Riches, wealth abounded, turquoise stones dropped like dates. As Gilgamesh walked around in wonder, he saw distantly the alewife, tavern-keeper, Siduri, who lives alone by the sea that edges the world. Siduri, the alewife, lives at the sea on the edge of the world and keeps a tavern there. Vats of beer and fermentation stand there, covered, so they are not polluted. Gilgamesh circled it carefully, wearing his animal skins, for he has the flesh of the gods, but he is not a god. Grief possessed him. It had injured him deeply. He was like a ghost that cannot go down and roams the open country. The alewife saw him from the distance and watched him approach. She pondered in her heart. She spoke to herself. This man looks like a bad man. Why does he come here looking like he does? She went inside her tavern, and she locked her door to him. She bolted it. Gilgamesh saw, and when he came closer, he spoke to her. Why did you lock your door? I will break it open if I must. I have traveled a great distance. I am Gilgamesh, brother of Enkaidu. We killed Humbaba in the forest of the cedars. We killed the bull of sun that came up the river into the city of Uruk. The alewife did not believe him. If you are really Gilgamesh, who slew the guardian Humbaba that lived in the forest of cedars, who killed the lions at the mountain pass, who seized and struck down the bull of the heaven, then why are your cheeks so wasted, your face so dejected, your body so worn, and your clothing so shabby? You look possessed of a sorrow that has entered you deeply. Your face is gaunt, like that of a man who has traveled too far from home and is exhausted and haunted by grief. Gilgamesh spoke to her through the door. How should it not be? My cheeks are wasted, my heart wretched, my appearance worn out. Grief has entered me deeply. My face is weathered by heat and cold and is gaunt like that of a man who has traveled so far from home and is exhausted. My friend... My brother in Kaido, who shared my life with me, was taken away from me, dead, as all die. Six days, seven nights I wept. I did not want him buried, not until a worm fell out of his nose. Then I was frightened, too, and afraid of death. Defeated by it, too, I roamed the open country like a ghost that cannot go down. No longer king. I wear these 
animal skins. The words of my friend remember me, haunt me. Wherever I go, these words go with me in my mind. How can I accept this? My friend is cold and lifeless. Won't this be my fate, too? I will lie down some day and never get up. The alewife spoke to him, to Gilgamesh. What you want, you cannot have. You will not find a life that does not die. When mankind was created by the gods, they kept undying life for themselves. They gave death to man. So, Gilgamesh, fill your stomach. Enjoy yourself. Take pleasure every day and every night in every way you can. Play, dance, refresh yourself with baths. Wash your hair, put on clean clothes. Take your child's hand in yours and take your wife on your lap. That is life. Gilgamesh replied, I do not understand anything you say or why you say it. My heart hurts with grief for my friend. That is all I know. You must know the way to Utnapishtim. You see all types here who come and go at the edge of the sea. Gilgamesh insisted. Tell me, alewife, which is the way to Utnapishtim? Can't you give me directions? Whatever they are, I will take them. If I must, I shall cross this sea. But if that's not possible, I shall go back and wander the open country again. opened her door and spoke to him. There has never been a fairy of any kind, Gilgamesh. No one has ever crossed the sea and come back alive. Shamish, who is a warrior like you, is the only one who crosses the sea. Apart from him, no one else. The crossing itself is difficult, the way of it difficult. And between this world and the next world are the waters of death a barrier none can pass. Now, how should even you, Gilgamesh, ever hope to do it? But if you must, there is a boatman, Urshanabi, who works for Utnapishtim. He goes to him from time to time, and even now is in the forest trimming a pine for him. Go speak to him and see if it's possible to cross over with him. Otherwise, you must turn around and go back. Gilgamesh went down to the seashore, to where the mountain met the sea and the pines grew nearby. He went armed in case he should be threatened. Urshanabi saw him coming, and drew out his own sword, and raised up an axe and crept up behind Gilgamesh. But Gilgamesh was swift and sure, and struck Archanabi, struck him down and seized his arms behind him and penned him to the ground. He bound his arms. 
Gilgamesh was furious at Urshanavi, and he threw his sword into the water and destroyed some other things that were near about. There were peculiar things of stone, strung with rope like floats and nets that a fisherman might cast. He smashed them. He made dust out of them, and the rope was all unstrung from them. He even would have made a hole or two in his boat, but he had the sense to stop. He went back to Urshanabi. Urshanabi spoke to Gilgamesh. Why are your cheeks so wasted, your face so dejected, your body so worn, and your clothing so shabby? You look possessed of a sorrow that has entered you deeply. Your face is gaunt, like that of a man who has traveled too far from home and is exhausted and haunted by grief. Gilgamesh replied, How should it not be? My cheeks are wasted, my heart wretched, my appearance worn out. Grief has entered me deeply. My face is weathered by heat and cold and is gaunt like that of a man who has traveled so far from home and is exhausted. My friend, my brother and Kaidu who shared my life with me was taken from me, dead, as all die. Six days, seven nights I wept. I did not want him buried, not until a worm fell out of his nose. And then I was frightened, too, and afraid of death, defeated by it, too. I roamed the open country like a ghost that cannot go down. No longer king, I wear these animal skins. The words of my friend remember me, haunt me. Wherever I go, these words go with me in my mind. How can I accept this? My friend is cold and lifeless. Won't this be my fate, too? I will lie down some day and never again get up. Gilgamesh insisted. Tell me, Urshanabi, which way is the way to Utnapishtim? Can't you give me directions? Whatever they are, I will take them. If I must, I shall cross the sea, but if that's not possible, I shall go back and wander the open country again. Urshanabi told him then, You've almost made it impossible yourself. Those things of stone that you smashed keep you safe in the waters of death, but they are destroyed and all unstrung, and I do not know if you can survive it now. But if you must go, you can try to go by taking poles, and, like a ferryman, make your way, like a boatman in the river, using poles to go. Cut down the poles from the trees, three hundred of them you will need and shape them. Hew them with a place to handle them, then bring them here to my boat. Gilgamesh went to the forest and took down three hundred trees and trimmed them, hewed them, and made a handle on each of them. When he was done, he hauled them to the boat where Urshanabi waited. They boarded and embarked together. They cast a sail, and the wind took them into the sea. After a journey of a new moon to a full moon, and three more days besides, they reached the waters of death, where there was no wind, a shoal of lifeless emptiness in which the overcast sky reflected upon the sea colorlessly. Don't let the water touch your hand, Urshanabi told Gilgamesh. Hold the pole high and thrust it once, 
then take another and thrust it, then a third, then another, and so on, one by one. But do not touch the water. In less than one half mile, no more, he'd used up all his poles. He had no more. But the boat drifted smoothly. The boat glided in the straight course he had given it. Utnapishtim was on the other shore. He looked out for them. He was puzzled. He could see his boatman, but he could see another also. I'm looking, but I cannot believe it. I'm looking, but I cannot make this out. Utnapishtim addressed Gilgamesh, as all had before. Why are your cheeks so wasted, your face so dejected, your body so worn, and your clothing so shabby? You look possessed of a sorrow that has entered you deeply. Your face is gaunt like that of a man who has traveled too far from home, and is exhausted, haunted by grief. Gilgamesh replied, how should it not be? My cheeks are wasted, my heart wretched, my appearance worn out. Grief has entered me deeply. My face is weathered by heat and cold and is gaunt like that of a man who has traveled so far from home and is exhausted. My friend, my brother in Kaido, who shared my life with me, was taken from me dead. as all die. Six days, seven nights I wept. I did not want him buried. Not until a worm fell out of his nose. Then I was frightened, too, and afraid of death, defeated by it, too. I roamed the open country like a ghost that cannot go down, no longer king. I wear these animal skins. The words of my friend remember me, haunt me. Wherever I go, these words go with me in my mind. How can I accept this? My friend is cold and lifeless. Won't this be my fate, too? I will lie down some day and never get up again. And Gilgamesh added at last, So, I thought I must go and see Utnapishtim, the far distant man whom all the people tell me about. I searched. I went to all the countries that I knew. I passed through open country, mountains, all manner of difficult land, and crossed seas back and forth. I never slept enough. My body was anxious all the time. What did I find? Did I gain anything? I killed bear, hyena, lion, leopard, and tiger. I ate their meat, I skinned them, and spread their skin, and now I wear them. I ate and I skinned the deer, the goat, cattle, and other wild animals. I tried to get the help of the alewife, but she was afraid of me. She thought I must be a bad man because of how I looked. She bolted her door against me. Now no one has pleasure when I am near. My misery makes misery wherever I am. Utnapishtim said to Gilgamesh, Why do you make your grief worse? Because the gods made you flesh? Because you are like your father and your mother? Death must come to you, to you, and to any idiot, Gilgamesh. A throne is given to you. An idiot gets a stool. You get butter. 
The idiot gets rancid dregs. He gets a loincloth. You get a robe. He has no sense. You get advice from wise men. You have appeared to gods. You have cared for temples and holy shrines. The gods have listened to you. So what have you achieved? Why do you do all this? You are weary and exhausted. You have filled yourself with grief. You only bring the distant day of death that much closer to you. Even fame is cut down, like the reed in its bed. A fine man, a fine girl, will die like flowers cut. Nobody sees death coming. Nobody hears death coming. Death cuts down the living like the reeds in the riverbed. We build a house. We build a farm. When the old man dies, the brothers divide it. There's hostility among them. The river rises and brings the floods. The dragonflies drift on the river. Their faces look upon the face of the sun. Suddenly there's nothing. The sleeping and the dead are just alike. No one can picture death. No one knows more than a man who knows nothing. Even when they blessed me, the Anunnaki, the assembly of the gods, they appointed life and death. They did not make a number to count the days of death, but they do count all the days of life. Those days are the only ones you must count. Gilgamesh spoke to Utnapishtim, the far distant. I look at you, and I see a man not much older than I am. You have the arms of a man my age. It makes me want to prove myself against you. How can this be? Because I know you must be many thousands of years older than I. Utnapishtim said to Gilgamesh, I will tell you the secret. It is a secret of the gods themselves, and men have not known it until today.